You're listening to the Informal Bible Study, a casual and applicational look at the Scriptures. I'm John Stonge, and it's great to have you with us today. In just a few moments, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 20, starting with verse 41 and going right down to verse 47, and we're going to be talking about this idea that if we minimize Christ, we'll idolize ourselves. If we minimize Christ in our lives, we'll start idolizing ourselves. But a couple quick things before we take a look at that. First of all, if you haven't had a chance to stop by our website in a while, our website is desirejesus.com, and we'd invite you to stop there if you are someone who has been reading the uh, 30-day devotional series that I've been releasing one section per month or one volume per month. Volume 7, the newest volume, is now available. I've been waiting to bring this one to you. It is available for free to download right from the front page of the website. You'll see the link right on there, and it'll give you instructions how to download it from there. So stop by DesireJesus.com, and you'll be able to download Desire Jesus Volume 7 for free. I also want to thank those of you who take the time to leave us a rating or review on whatever app or system you listen to this podcast from. Thank you to those of you who have done that, and if you have never done that, I'd be very grateful if you would take the time to leave us a rating or review on whatever podcast system you listen with, whether it's Podbean or iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher, whichever one it is, uh, we'd just be grateful for your feedback and for the reviews that you leave, because when you leave a review, it triggers the algorithm of whatever system you listen from to promote the show a little bit, and as a result, we end up connecting with more listeners. So it's uh, encouraging for us, and it's also practical as we seek to bring the message of the Scriptures to as many people as as possible. Now, as I mentioned just a few moments ago, today we're looking at Luke chapter 20, starting with verse 41, and we're talking about this idea of if we minimize Christ, we'll idolize ourselves. And when I was a child, I, I can remember when, I, when the subject of idols was brought up, I typically thought of it through the lens of statues or carved images or something of that nature. But I remember a friend of mine saying to me right on my front steps, she said, uh, who is your idol? And I was puzzled by what she said. She said, who's your idol? And I didn't know how to answer her. And she's like, come on, everybody's got an idol. And in my mind, I thought, I, I don't know what she's getting. I was probably about eight years old, I would say, at that time. And I really had no idea what she was getting at. And I, I asked her to give me an example. I, I said, well, who's your idol? And I don't remember who she said, but then she insisted. She's like, you know, somebody that's like in pop culture, maybe an actor, maybe a musician or, or, or somebody like that. And uh, you'll probably laugh at my answer. But uh, when she kept insisting, come on, you know, who's your idol? At the time, I, I, it was the early 80s, and, and the only answer I could think of was Michael Jackson. <laughs> That's who I told her. I said, uh, I, I don't know. I, I guess my idol is Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson was not my idol. That was the only answer I could think to give, though, to her question. And she was pretty insistent that I needed to have somebody. And ironically, in many respects, I think more often than not, we tend to idolize ourselves more so than we idolize anybody else. And I think that subject is brought up when we take a look at what this scripture says. So I'm going to read from Luke chapter 20, starting with verse 41. And this is what it states. 
But he said to them, How can they say that the Christ is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David thus calls him Lord, so how is he his son? And in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and, for a pretense, make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the privilege of being able to look at this portion of Scripture today. And Lord, we pray that as we do so, that you'd give us your wisdom and your understanding, and that you'd help our faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, to grow. We're grateful, Lord, for this privilege to be able to spend time now meditating on the truth of what your word contains, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. One of our greatest desires as people is to be valued. We want our opinions to be considered, our ideas to be applauded, and our presence to be noticed. Certainly, that's not all bad, but when those desires become extreme in nature, they can quickly find themselves in conflict with the greater purpose Christ has outlined for our lives. The danger of taking this to an extreme can result in us overvaluing ourselves and undervaluing Christ. And that certainly seems to be an issue that was at play in Christ's interaction with the scribes and other prominent local leaders. Jesus was being tested by people who thought rather highly of themselves and rather poorly of him. They questioned his motives, they questioned his teaching, At the same time, they elevated their ideas, thoughts, and preferences as if their mental capacity was of a higher order than the God who had created them. When a person minimizes Christ, they forsake his wisdom, and they begin to idolize themselves. How can we avoid doing that? What does Scripture reveal to help keep us from drifting in that direction? Well, I think a few things are brought up in this portion of Scripture that are helpful to us. And one of the things we see is outlined for us in verses 41 down to 44, and so I'm going to reread those. But I think it kind of forces us to ask the question, what does Jesus reveal about his true nature? Look at what it says in verse 41. But he said to them, how can they say that the Christ is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies your footstool. David thus calls him Lord, so how is he his son? When we read through the Gospels, it becomes clear that the religious leaders of the era struggled to accept who Jesus was. They are presented as continually questioning him, debating the origin of his power, and trying to find some way to get him in trouble so that he would stop threatening the nature of their power and influence over the people. Looking at the events that transpired earlier in this chapter, 
it's clear that they didn't understand who they were really speaking to, nor did they understand the meaning of many of the scriptures they claimed to be experts in. With that in mind, Jesus attempted to enlighten them with more truth from the scriptures that they were clearly overlooking. And as he did this, he was revealing to them the fact that he was God in the flesh, standing right there in front of them. Jesus, after being questioned repeatedly by the religious leaders, posed a question of his own. Essentially, he was asking them, how could it be said that the Messiah was going to be a son of David? To answer that question, he quoted to them from Psalm 110, verse 1. What was Jesus getting at? What was he revealing to them? Well, let me reread Psalm 110, verse 1. There it says, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. In quoting that verse, Jesus was pointing out that while the Messiah was going to be a physical descendant of David, he was also going to be more than just David's natural son. In fact, David calls the Messiah his Lord. That's a fascinating statement that reveals much about the Messiah's full nature. I have to say, I have four children, and the idea of calling one of them Lord is a very foreign thought to my mind. But with divine inspiration, David was granted the privilege to understand something deeper and far-reaching about the descendant who would be born through his line. In that psalm, the God of Israel says to the Messiah that he is to sit at his right hand, which is the place of honor. So the Messiah isn't merely the son of David. The Messiah is the eternal son of God. Jesus was explaining to these so-called knowledgeable leaders something that theologians call the hypostatic union. And what that means is this, Jesus was 100% human, yet at the same time 100% God. From eternity past, his nature has always been divine. But in his effort to rescue lost humanity, he took on a human nature with the goal of saving all who would trust in him. I like what it says in John chapter 1, verse 14 about this very thing. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus revealed his true nature to us. How willing are we to call him Lord like David did? Something else that I think is worth asking based on this scripture today is this. What does a boastful attitude reveal about a man's spirit? Look again at verse 45 down to the first part of verse 47. It says this, And in the hearing of all the people he said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. I have a personal philosophy that, to be honest, is completely a preference, not a mandate, and it goes something like this. I consider it a good day when I don't have to comb my hair or wear a tie. Now, truthfully, I can tolerate combing my hair, but I'd much rather wear a hat. But I can't stand wearing 
a tie. <laughs> I'm grateful for the fact that I preach and lead in a context that doesn't seem to mind my disdain for neckties, because that's not the case everywhere you go. But some people in this world try to derive their sense of value and worth from their appearance and the attention that what they're wearing draws to them. Some people make a point to wear expensive clothing in the hopes that you'll notice them. Sometimes people wear very revealing clothing in the hope that you'll notice them. And in the case of the scribes Jesus was speaking of in this passage, they like to walk around in long robes that help them stand out from those who wore more common or modest attire. They wanted attention. They wanted to be treated special. Jesus also shared some other traits of scribes that he cautioned those who could hear him to be aware of. He said they liked to be greeted or acknowledged as being special when they were in the marketplace. They wanted seats of honor wherever they went, and they took advantage of the finances and estates of widows who made the mistake of trusting them. Jesus also said they liked to give lengthy prayers in public, more for the purpose of drawing attention to themselves than for bringing glory to God. Now, it's not hard to see why Jesus was cautioning us about this kind of attitude or manner of living. It certainly isn't the fruit of genuine faith, nor does it express a desire to bring God glory. It's actually evidence of self-idolization. They were self-idolizing. They were making an idol of themselves. Consider for just a moment what we're told in James 4.16. It says this, As it is, You boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. And Proverbs 27.2 says this, Let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. Jesus invites us to glorify him, not to glorify ourselves. When I was a new pastor, I used to get together with other area pastors for a time of prayer and fasting that, I have to admit, didn't involve a whole lot of fasting because when we were done meeting, we would all grab lunch together. But the pastors would sit in a circle and pray for a while, and it was a good idea. But, of course, there were some men who didn't seem too terribly acquainted with Luke chapter 20. And I was told one time, I didn't see this with my own eyes, but somebody told me the story, but one particular time after one pastor had prayed for a very long time, the man who followed him simply prayed this. He said, Lord, please save us from long and pretentious prayers. That was his response. I can imagine that that created a little bit of an awkward silence in that moment. But truthfully, a boastful spirit reveals quite a few things about a man's heart. It reveals his insecurities because we usually boast about what we're afraid of being deficient in our lives. I think it also reveals his immaturity because a person with mature faith learns to boast in the Lord, not in their flesh. It also reveals the fact that that the person doing the boasting cares more about himself than he cares about whoever he is boasting to, because boasting often crushes the spirit of the person who has to hear it being done. Christ hasn't called us to be boastful. He's called us to be faithful. A boastful attitude reveals that a man does not understand that concept yet. 
There's one other question that I think this portion of Scripture brings out that's worth asking, and it's this. What kind of future awaits those who take advantage of those who trust in them? Look again at the second half of verse 47. It's very short. It just simply says this. They will receive the greater condemnation. How much do you think about the future? I certainly try to enjoy the present, but I'll admit that I think a lot about the future in both the natural and the spiritual sense. One of the things that I've been thinking a lot about lately is the end date of my mortgage. And that probably sounds like a boring subject to many people to think about, but it's my last debt. I'm trying to pay it off as aggressively as I can with the goal of relieving my mind of the pressure of its existence each month. But I still have a, a few years ahead of me, but I'm, I'm making progress, and it's something that I think about. Now, that would be something in the natural sense, but in the spiritual sense, I think about the future quite frequently as well. I want my life to be used up in service to Christ. God's Word tells us repeatedly that He has crowns and heavenly rewards in store for believers who are faithful to Him during their time here on earth. Look at what it says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 20. There we're told this, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, it says this, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Those are encouraging portions of Scripture. But Jesus also makes it clear that while those who trust in him will be rewarded and will live forever in his presence, there are also many people on this earth who have a future of condemnation awaiting them. As they reject Christ and hurt their fellow man, Jesus, the righteous judge, takes note. Those who trust in Jesus will never be condemned, but those who reject him absolutely will. And in regard to this group of religious leaders who were able to look at Jesus in the face, reject him, attempt to steer others away from him, attribute his miracles to the devil, and take advantage of those who trusted them, they will receive what Jesus describes as the greater condemnation. What is this greater condemnation Jesus is referring to? Some people debate what Jesus is getting at, but the most plain reading of what he's saying is that while all those who reject him will experience hell for all eternity, there must be degrees of punishment for those who will be present in hell. Whatever those degrees are, these scribes will be receiving the worst of it. The severity of their condemnation will be experienced forever and they will have no one to blame for their suffering other than themselves. It will be directly tied to the affections of their own hearts and the actions of their own hands. I read something recently that I thought I'd share with you today. It says this, Not long after a wealthy contractor had finished building the Tombs Prison in New York, he was found guilty of forgery and sentenced to several years in the prison he had built. As he was escorted into a cell of his own making, the contractor said, I never dreamed 
when I built this prison that I would be an inmate one day. Well, Christ's calling on our lives isn't that we would waste the efforts of our hands investing in what imprisons us. His calling on us is that we would trust and glorify Him. He has revealed His true nature to us. He has displayed His humility to us and invites us to walk in the same fashion. And He grants us a future hope that can be looked forward to in the midst of every circumstance we're living through. If we minimize Christ, we'll idolize ourselves. But if we glorify Christ, we can be blessed with His presence and His perspective both now and forever. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the privilege to be able to look at your word together today, and we thank you, Lord, for the love that you show us in so many ways. Lord, we recognize that it was an act of your mercy that brought your scriptures to us and to our attention today. Lord, we pray that we would be people who replicate your humility as you inspire and empower it within us, and that we wouldn't be people who are boastful or people who go about this life idolizing ourselves. Lord, we pray that our lives would be poured out in glorifying you and not idolizing ourselves in more or creative ways. Lord, we want our lives to be poured out in your service and for your honor. And Lord, we want to be empowered by your strength and not continually rely on our own. So Lord, by your grace, we pray that you would grant this to us, and we thank you, Lord, for your love and for your presence with us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this episode of the Informal Bible Study. As I mentioned at the start of the episode, we'd invite you to stop by DesireJesus.com, and you can download Volume 7 of the Desire Jesus 30-Day Devotional Series. That book is currently our free book of the month, and it's available right now on our website. We also want to let you know that there is a transcript of the message that I just shared today available on our website as well. So if you'd be interested in looking at this and looking at the scriptures and reading them or maybe even sharing them on social media, you'll be able to do that right from DesireJesus.com. And if that's something that you're inclined to do, we'd certainly be grateful for you to share that information with others as well. But that's it for us today. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week, and we look forward to catching up with you again right here next Monday. Take care. Looking for ways to stay positive? Brighten your day with the free Story Behind podcast. Hear weekly short stories that showcase true joy, love, and hope. Listen now at lifeaudio.com or by searching for Story Behind wherever you get your podcasts.